listeners. Welcome back to Ornate Stairwells. I'm Autumn. I'm joined as always by Nia. Hi, I'm Neve. This is a movie podcast. Um, I I wanted to give like a little preamble here. I was listening to our Skinamarink episode, and I realized that we didn't explain what this podcast is at all. And I was like, you know, we're talking. Y'all, y'all are smart. All you listeners, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. <laughs> here's here's what I'm gonna do to try and smooth. I'm gonna like boost up their sense of self. Okay. You all are smart. You can figure out what we're doing. Yeah, I just. You're absolutely right. I just was listening to the Skinamarink episode, and I realized we just said our names, and then I was like, "Tell me about you've got mail," and we were just going, 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 this is a movie podcast. In the first segment, we talk about other movies we watched. And then in our main segment, we'll be talking about Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that would have been a lot. That probably would have been a more useful thing to say last week when we did watch, like... Wh- Hot new 2022 discourse movie. <laughs> yeah, and also 14 other movies. Yeah. Um. This time, I haven't watched anything. I, I watched two things for other podcasts that we can address. I'll also say, dearest listeners, recently you've gotten from us. I'm going to scroll up here in the spreadsheet. Uh, you know what? I'm even going to go back to 2022 in the spreadsheet here. I'm going to scroll down. Um, You got... Okay. Um, Go back, go back to 2023. Okay. I, episode 70. End of year wrap up. Banger. I'm starting with this. I Die Hard episode, not a banger by comparison. By comparison, good episode. But any of your wrap-up was a fucking banger. We had M on, yeah. it was great. His motorbiker island happy together, fucking banger episode. Yeah. Great episode. We went so long about both of those movies in a way I did not expect. While at Heart, great fucking episode. We crushed it. While at Heart episode was so good. Skinamarink episode? pretty fucking good we were a little more all over the place and we watched a lot of stuff that we didn't overlap at all so it was a lot of like my turn to talk your turn to talk on the skin and marine cap but it was uh-huh. fine I, I thought we did a really good skin and marine cap you know yeah uh sunset boulevard app i'm gonna tell you set your bar low <laughs> <laughs> the movie is good <laughs> Just lower those expectations right now. <laughs> I worked 11 hours yesterday, and I woke back up and did six more today, and I'm fucking tired. Yeah, you... we were supposed to record yesterday. Uh-huh. Um, and we didn't, because you worked 11 hours. Also, you had, like, a sinus headache. You were you yeah. were not in a good way yesterday. Yeah. Um, It was... It was just like a very flash in the pan congestion thing. Yeah. Where like I felt fine Saturday. Uh-huh. Recorded divey. Um then Sunday just woke up and was just like congested, had sinus headache, where I would take Advil and I'd feel okay for like three and a half hours and then have to wait an a half hour to take another one. Mm-hmm. Um and then Today I've I've been a little bit better, but I did work and I, yeah yeah. I had a weird thing today, where yesterday I worked eleven hours and then I just kind of came home and crashed, and then today I was like anxious at work all day, and I didn't realize until I got home 
Because work today was actually very chill. Nothing other than um, when I came in, there was blood all over the floor. <laughs> but it was chill. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you mean this isn't common? <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll tell the blood on the floor story in just a second. But other than that, work was very chill. But I spent all day at work today, like having like a, a, a anxiety panic thing going on, and I realized it was like, oh, I never actually had the anxiety attack yesterday that I was due for, and it's just hitting today because I was working and then crashing. Anyway, I'll tell the story because this. Someone told this to me, and my stupid ass brain thought this is Lynchian, <laughs> just the way he told it. <laughs> You just finished your can of uh, sparkling water and then mimed throwing at it, throwing it at me when I yeah. said that. Um, I've gotten really into sparkling water lately in a way that I normally haven't, and it's just that, uh, like, general sickness of this time of year and having a toddler combining with asthma means that, like, bubbles in my throat often helps. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Even though I'll still sometimes have a Verner's. We're, we're out of Verner's now, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes I have a Verner's. I don't want to drink, like, a bunch of Verner's a day. Yeah. Like, I have, like, one can a day. Yeah. When I'm having cans of Verner's because I'm not feeling well. I need to try to adopt the, the sparkling water lifestyle because I, like, a thing happened to me where... Not... This is so much more interesting than blood on the floor. <laughs> Not, not like super consciously, but I cut a lot of like sugar out other than like chocolate. Like when I come home, uh, I'll snack on some chocolate throughout the evening because that's just like a vice I have. It's like, it's very much like I have always eaten chocolate in the evenings. Um, and then it escalated when I was quitting smoking (laughs) to where now I just, I eat chocolate in the evenings. But other than that, I don't eat a lot of sugar. And so if I have two sodas... Like, if I have a soda with lunch, and then I'm like, ooh, soda was pretty good. I'm going to have a second soda. I feel ill. So I might need to start living the sparkling water lifestyle. Yeah. Anyway. Emily drinks a lot of sparkling water, and um, there was one brand that she had where the, the like, lime one was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I was drinking it more than two because I was like, oh, this is actually good. And then it like got me because in general, I'm not that big of a fan of sparkling water. I don't like a lot of the flavors, I think is really the thing. I actually just like plain ones or just like lime. The thing for me is like the, the sugar, like of a soda, there's like a, there's like a taste to the carbonation or something there's like a certain taste that is always present for me in sparkling waters that isn't there in soda and i don't know if it's like the sugar masks the taste or something but i need to i i I think it's like a thing where i don't like that taste because i drink like one sparkling water every like six months and think i don't like sparkling water whereas i i bet if i just switch to sparkling water and and tried a couple different things yeah. Tried a couple different things, decided I like this one best, and then stuck with it. I'd probably just end up liking it, you know? Yeah. Um. Anyway, blood on the floor story. So, <clears throat> I slept in a little bit. I was running late to work. Um. Usually, I like to get to work like five, ten minutes early so I can have a cup of coffee before I start. Um. Th- uh, today before work, I'm like rushing in. 
Because it's like, I'm supposed to be on at like 9.30 and it's like 9.28. I like grab like a a, a kind bar from the register um, that I don't think, oh my God, I don't think I ever went back and paid for that kind bar. I think I committed some, some light theft from the company. No one, no one tell. <laughs> anyway, um, grab my kind bar. I'm like munching it. Um, and as I am grabbing my kind bar, I'm just starting to perceive. The, the, there were signs in the door and there was stuff, like there were things that could have clued me in before this, but I was so anxious that I didn't even perceive. The cafe is closed. Why is there no one sitting in the cafe of large corporate coffee shop I work at. As I'm grabbing the kind bar, my coworker, um, Kai says to me, Hey, be careful not to trip on the blood. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And I go to the back and I'm putting on my apron and I'm clocking in and eating my kind bar. And they were all so busy um up front that no one came back and explained the situation to me. They were just gonna wait for me to come back up. So that I <laughs> I come up, and there's a there's a there's a guy who usually works somewhere else that's working at our store temporarily, and I asked him what happened, and he told me someone tripped, um, uh, someone tripped and face planted, and um, the the like busted up his nose and started bleeding. I was like, okay, normal thing. And then to hear to hear Kai tell it, um, w- what had happened was that this guy came in, was like not all there in some shape or capacity. I might make some inferences based on how his behavior was described, but I don't want to, you know, do that really. Um, but but guy comes in, he's like standing by the front. Kai's like, hey. What can I do for you? Guy doesn't respond. Um, Kai says again, Hey, hey, how can I help you? You want something to drink? You want something to eat? You know, whatever. Guy is just like staring out into the distance. Just like not on this planet in any way. Just staring. And (laughs) Kai says, Are you alright? Do you need anything? (laughs) Man falls over. His nose hits the floor. There's blood everywhere. <laughs> like the man, the man was just standing and then was falling. <laughs> and and so like Kai is like going to check on the guy and my manager is like dialing 911 and the fire department is like is he breathing and they're like I'm not sure. Should I, like, I'm not really, I don't really want to touch him. There's a lot of blood. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> um, and the, apparently the, the fire department came and took the guy away. And apparently the guy came back a half hour later <laughs> and ordered a cup of coffee and was normal. <laughs> um, just like, order, just like, yeah, I'll take a, a medium coffee, cream, and two sugars. Got it left normal <laughs> or maybe his identical twin brother i don't know whatever um uh and anyway so then we had to 
close the cafe because you can't have people in there when there's a big pool of blood on the floor. So then at like 11 or something, the cleaning crew gets there. And I was expecting somebody with like gloves or like, you know, a face mask or anything. My man walked in in his Crocs. <laughs> My man walked in in his sweatpants <laughs> and his Rick and Morty t-shirt. <laughs> he sprayed that pool of blood with some SOS. He wiped it up with a washcloth. He put that washcloth back in the bag <laughs> where he had all his other washcloths. And he's like, all right, take care of <laughs> I was like, dude, I could have done that. <laughs> That's not how you're supposed to clean up blood. No. <laughs> um, I had a job where I was the person on call at all times if there was ever vomit or blood. Mm-hmm. That's not how you're supposed to clean up blood. This this is also, <clears throat> this, this same man, a couple of weeks ago, I had to, somebody went into the bathroom and pooped. And the poop was not in the toilet. The poop was in many places, not the toilet. And so I called this man and said, hey, can you clean up the poop that's not in the toilet? And my man <laughs> showed up at his Crocs for that, too. <laughs> and I've never seen anybody so brave <laughs> in my life. Um... He did not show up with a mop. He did not show up with any sort of, like, handled cleaning instrument. He had one washcloth and some SOS. <laughs> and I don't know what he did in there, but it looked spotless, so whatever. I don't know his name. So this is a movie podcast where we <laughs> talk about um, This is fantastic. I did not watch any movies because... There's really two reasons. Uh-huh. So, uh, one, I work an office job. I actually work in an office full of vampires, so I'm very used to blood on them. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I work an office job. Um, and people might remember, if they've been listening to this this podcast, there there was a period where um, there was a deadline for, like, a document that you needed to get done. Um, and, like, you came over that day, and I was just, like, not even myself. Mm-hmm. I was just, like... Uh, deeply agitated. Um, and there are a couple of reasons for that. One, I, I lost a day in mm-hmm. having to, to get this because uh, I was sick mm-hmm. around that time. Uh, sick enough that I couldn't work for a day. Um, oh, right. This is the day that you like didn't speak to me for like six hours or something. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was also, uh, there's another department that we had to rely on to get some stuff done and back to us. And previously they'd done that work in approximately one to two days. Um, and in this case they did it in approximately one to two weeks. <laughs> uh, and so that was the other part that I was like highly agitated for. Um, also, it was just all like my specific work. I did all of like everything. Mm-hmm. All of that was me. Um, this is like me helping my boss get something over the finish line, but it's the same document. And the document's more complex because this is a much larger section. Um, and I had to do a ton, like last week in particular, I did do just a, a shit ton of planning and then like writing mm-hmm. to just get all of this stuff into just this. This, like, massive, um, it's this kind of thing where, like, sometimes when you look at it, when it's completed, 
there's stuff where it's kind of easy to understand certain parts, but to like get all of those uh, pieces in their specific place where they are is just a nightmare. Um, the absolute amount of planning involved before you actually even construct the document and then you construct the document and it takes like a day and a half mm-hmm. just to like, you've already planned all of it out and it still just takes a day and a half just to like get it into a, another document and like, yeah, have it make sense and make sure everything's correct. And, um, so yeah, that was me last week and none of it was at that same level of like, Today, I am just inoperable. Do not speak to me. Mm. Um, I am just, like, pulsing with, like, bizarre, nervous stress energy. Um, it never reached that point, but it was also, like, especially all of this, like, uh, document work that I've been doing mm-hmm. is the kind of stuff where it's just so much harder to, like, put a, a show on in the background or whatever. Um and the way that when I'm sometimes doing things where I'm just like moving stuff around in spreadsheets and stuff, it's a little bit more mindless and it's easier to just like watch a movie while I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the the big thing is I was just working on that document all last week and um, doing some finishing up stuff and starting for our next section uh, today. So I didn't watch anything today. I maybe could have, but um, I'm also like right in the middle of a really long there's like a five episode thing for the the build up to the new friends of the table season. Mm-hmm. And I just want to like, while I'm in it, I just want to try and get through those podcast, ep- like those five podcast episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's also part of it. Is I just decided to do that instead. Yeah. But uh, the real, th- the other thing is that it's just like, I got out of, I finished, uh, you know, Shars counterattack last time. Um, and we're starting, Iron-Blooded Orphans on Ghost Divers. Export odd.io uh, export slash Ghost Divers. Yeah, people should go listen to it. I'm excited. Um, this is like the most excited. Yeah, I think this is the most excited Connor has been from just like the start of a, a show. He was pretty excited with Utena, but Utena is a show that it reveals itself to you a little bit yeah. more over time. Yeah, the, the first episode of Utena is very like, grabby got a lot of hooks in it yeah and then like after that first episode purposefully like not slows down but is like the second episode is where you're gonna start to learn repetition is so much of the thing of utena so that like well and that's like we're talking about it where it's like you know six or seven episodes or i forget what we did for utena but like there's even stuff there that that connor is grabbing but it's like Especially for, like, what Utena is and all the excitement, you need to get to, like, the first big, like, shit just feels like it's resetting in this world. Yeah. And that's where you're, like, really getting excited about what this this show is. Um, Also, kind of just has less familiarity with, like, Magical Girl space stuff. Like, not... Magical, the magical girl space, not magical girls in space stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but whereas here, like Connor loves Gundam and has been watching, doing his own private uh, hermetic great Gundam project. Um, and so it was also that where there's like, there's a bunch of themes that Connor cares about in Gundam. And then like literally the first episode just has a bunch of them. Right. Yeah. Um, and is like, has stuff to say about them. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, he was he's been excited. That was a good first episode. It was like weirdly all over the place because it was just like there's so much themes in Gundam that we need to talk about. Like, how are these first six episodes engaging with them and doing variations? 
And so there's like very little plot at all. We do synopses, but beyond that, it's just like, here's this theme, like bodies, uh, the, the Gundam itself, like, you know, yeah, class. Uh, it was just all of that where we were just like calling out stuff and how it's starting from the point. But anyway, that's mostly. So the other thing is like, I finished, um, Witch for Mercury. Um, it was fun, but I don't, I feel like all the most interesting thematic content got like shunted to the prologue um, and the final episode, but specifically in ways that feel like, because the prologue, there's like a fair amount of distance before it came, like the actual show started. Um, and now there's going to be like a gap until the, the second season. And so the thematic stuff also felt like it was being brought in specifically just to be like a shock factor uh, cliffhanger to make you excited for what's going to come down the line. And I'm just like, I want you to actually explore any of the thematic stuff you're talking mm-hmm. about. But that's where I'm at. I'm I'm currently kind of just anime brained. Um, also, Emily's been watching The Last of Us and wants me to watch it with her. So I have been. I don't know too much to say about it. Uh, fuck Naughty Dog. Um, I, do, I did really enjoy the game the first time I played it. Mm. I don't know... There's this, I guess the one thing I'll say is it seems really engaged with like, or like really committed to it. Like it wants to be faithful to. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen it. And I, I, I have not watched a let's play or played the original game at all. I have like no context at all for the last yeah. of us, but I've heard a lot. I heard there's like people being like, all right, you go around and get the ladder, like video game mechanics happening or whatever. You know, yeah, and so far the two strongest, so the the first episode and then the most recent episode, the third one, have been stronger because there's far more. That's one is not from the game, but that is like background stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't in a. They actually do do a moment in the most recent one where you read a letter that's giving you storytelling about stuff that's happened, mm-hmm. as happens in games where you root around and you find a letter and you read about a thing and then you learn about the world. Mm-hmm. But there's been so much more. They need to do that same world building that you would get from looking around a place and getting those like you know yeah bits by like actually just doing things that go back in time and tell you other stories. Um, and that's sometimes been the strongest part, even though it's also the thing that feels the most like it's not trying to be faithful. Um, so otherwise for the most part, it almost just feels of a kind of like how there's a fucking new HD remaster every three years <laughs> or whatever. Like now it's just like the TV one for people who are never going to play a video game at all. Yeah. But like the way that it's so wants to be faithful to everything about the original makes so much of it feel pointless, Uh I guess. Yeah. Because I'm watching it and I'm like, like there's a thing that's supposed to be shocking in uh, the most recent episode or supposed to be surprising. Uh, And Emily was like, you're like no reaction. And I'm like, I played this game. Like this is all in the, (laughs) like they're showing me a little bit more of the relationship between these characters on screen because you never see that. But so much of it is hinted at by looking around the world. Uh-huh. That like, it's kind of fun to see it, but otherwise, yeah. I just I feel like I haven't gotten anything from it that I didn't get from playing the game once when it first came out on. I have a question for you, 3? but I think it'll probably be better for when you actually finish this. So I think I'll just leave it. Yeah. Do, do you know how many episodes it is? No. Okay. 
Um, <clears throat> Emily has decided she wants to watch it and wants to watch it with me. So I'm, yeah. I'm like, yeah, sure. I do have a weird fondness for that game. Like if like Journal Updated did that game and wanted me on or something, I like it's that level. I would like do it. Uh huh. Um, I did enjoy it. I also just think it's weird. The it's place like the reputation it has and the way that it just like continues to be like Sony just being like this is our one big story is mm-hmm. has done a disservice to it. When's the HBO adaptation of God of War? There's going to be a lot more boobs in that. <laughs> um, When's the Showtime adaptation? <laughs> no, HBO does boobs, Yeah, too. I know, I know. They're just not for The Last of Us, because it's not that kind of, uh-huh. you know, property. <sighs> they haven't found a way to, to put boobs in yet. No boobs with the gay guys. It's just you can't you can't get him in there, <laughs> and HBO's not going to give me um, the the libertarian guy from um, Parks and Rec. What's his name? Adam Scott. No, Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman. They're not going to show me his dick. So what's what are we even doing here? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know why I went to Adam Scott. I do know it's because I saw a commercial with him in it earlier today. Um, I guess they're bringing Party Down back. I don't even know what that is. Okay, don't worry about it. I was like, it was a, it's a one season, slightly above average sitcom. Um, and I was like, you know, if Nia was going to watch a sitcom, that feels like in her wheelhouse, sort of. But anyway, um. Should I give listeners a quick update on why I haven't watched movies besides the being burnt out from work thing? Um, I guess. I mean, you did watch two movies, but you're not going to talk about them that much. Yeah. So, today, I theoretically could have watched movies, but instead I watched three episodes of Star Trek. Because I am I am now on... I just need to finish Season 7. TNG Season 7 is so fucking bad, dude. <laughs> this is where I'm at, is that Season 7 is really bad. Other than the episodes where it's incredible... Um, I feel like this is often the uh, last season of a Star Trek show thing, which is often going to be season seven. Yeah, it's like um, it's like the the bad episodes are really bad, but the good episodes are really good. But, but unfortunately, the bad episodes finally outnumber the good episodes. Yeah. Um, and then you're like, of course, it, they stopped it after this one. Yeah. Um, so I could have done that, but I watched three episodes of Star Trek. Uh, and then, like, there was another day, I want to say Saturday, no, it's hanging out Friday, I don't know, whatever, who cares, Thursday, <clears throat> I could have watched movies, um, and instead, I watched, um, um, the Boston, uh, Boston Lee, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, brain, 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 brain. Um, no, instead I watched the uh, Boston Celtics choke in overtime to the New York oh. Knicks, and then I watched um, my Dallas Mavericks um, just barely eke out and win a win over the god-awful Phoenix Suns, and I keep thinking to myself, why did we let Jalen Brunson go for free? Why did we just let him sign in New York? Because that was the thing he said he was going to do a whole bunch, and you are looking like you could not be more bored. <laughs> 
so I won't bore the listeners anymore with basketball talk. But um, much much like last year, I'm when... not the listeners. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> um, much like last year, when work was at its absolute worst for me, um, I um just really dumped it into like. I'm going to keep up with every fucking game of the playoffs. I'm like starting to get there now with the with like fucking January basketball that no one gives a shit about. <laughs> every every basketball podcast I listen to is like, "Yep, it's January. Regular season games are happening. It's a little tighter than usual, but not that interesting." Um so yeah, I won't bore anybody. Uh, I already called Alexis to talk to her about basketball. Um, yeah. Yeah. I saw that uh, she insisted that it just be a phone call and not a podcast, mm-hmm. which is a good move. Yeah. Also, Alexis, they them. I just... Okay. I, I stumbled. <laughs> Whatever. And then, and then I was like, well, you've spoken to them more I, recently. I, I did it, and I was like... <laughs> Well, whatever. We're homies. If I fuck it up one time on a podcast, it'll be chill. And then you also did it, and I was like, I should correct. I should set the record straight so that now I'm not like fucking this up through time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was just going to send them a sorry about that, but now. <laughs> Whereas I'm sitting here being like, oh, did I miss something? <laughs> New pronouns just dropped. <laughs> anyway. Um, anyway, yeah. So I watched RoboCop 3. That movie's not very good. How are the stairs? F. And then I watched Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, F for that. Um, And I'll just say briefly... I've had a couple days to think on it. I've had a couple days to really ruminate. To really, like, ponder. I think Thor and Love and Thunder... I think Thor, Love and Thunder... Is the worst Marvel movie. Yeah. Uh, That I've seen. Haven't seen Infinity War. Haven't seen... Either Doctor Strange. I I started to watch Doctor Strange and thought it was so bad I turned it off. Is it worse than the Hulk one? Uh, you know what? I was capable of paying attention to this entire film. So I guess <laughs> as opposed to the Hulk one where there was a bit where I was actively trying to pay attention and found myself failing. <laughs> um, other, other competition, um, other competition. I'm an eternal fastest. <laughs> <laughs> Thor Love and Thunder is worse than the Eternals. Wow. This is this is I'm planting my flag. At least I had something to talk about when I watched Eternals. <laughs> At least I could say this is a movie that was trying something. Uh Thor Love and Thunder, what a phoned in movie. They did that yeah. shit in a weekend, I feel like. Well, don't Which worry. Is... Uh Taika Waititi is gonna come in and save Star Wars. No. What did they give him? No, what they gave him Star Wars stuff to do? Yeah, they gave him Star Wars stuff to do. Why did they do that? So there's a thing where you, uh, I forget what podcast it was on. You and Nora were talking about like, oh, when do you think Star Wars movies are going to come out? 
Um, and I was like, that was some of this pod- stuff has been announced. That was on a podcast? Yeah. I thought for sure we just had that conversation on the couch. Well, I mean, I guess we also podcast on the couch, so. Yeah. Future Stars War. <laughs> I didn't do Stars War. I know. I just wanted to say that. Um, Bad Batch Season 2, ongoing. Mando Season 3, Star Wars Vision Season 2. Oh, we're getting a Season 2 of Vision. I should watch Season 1. Shit. Uh, oh, my God. Yahoo good... movies. Come this, on, this dude. This is not... Why is that the one being pulled up? Um, I mean, the thing that... I forget the exact year. I knew that this, this stuff had been announced. I think, like, Wikipedia has stuff about this. Probably. Um, we just do, like, the... Boop, boop, boop. Um, this is great audio, as I just search through and find... Uh... Series... Oh, scroll up. No. Films. Upcoming films. Upcoming, Upcoming films. films. Yeah, so... Um, no. No, 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 you will die. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, the first is going to be an unspecified film. We'll see if this plays out, but supposedly the first um, is going to be by Taika Waititi. Uh-huh. Um, and it is supposed to be, like pointing Star Wars in a new direction that's separate from, like, the Skywalker saga stuff. I couldn't think of a worse person to give that job. Yeah. Um, I, and then... Uh, you go, you go, sorry. Ryan or Rian? Ryan. Ryan? Ryan Johnson is supposed to uh, have some trilogy or something. Well, they announced that, but then they haven't said anything yeah. since it, and it's been a couple of years in a way that's like I feel like that's not happening anymore. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> yeah, and then uh, Kevin Feige, or Feige, or whatever Feige, Feige, um, is also co- collaborating on some film. So. Okay. Um. But yeah, the uh. Untitled films are scheduled for release on December 19th, 2025, and December 17th, 2027. Gross. We'll see if they meet those, but... The the 2027 one, you have to do. You, you simply cannot let... Yeah. You simply cannot, cannot let the 50 years of Star Wars thing happen without something. But so this is... This is the thing that I was listening because I vaguely knew some of this stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but I didn't want to just say, like, bullshit dates. Right. But that, yeah, around the, the anniversary, my guess, just from the stuff that I've seen, is that's going to be trying to do, like, the new trilogy. Yeah. And so the, the 2025 one will probably be the Taika Waititi one. Yeah. Um. God. I, I was it on Ghost? I, I feel like I feel like Connor was present for this conversation, where I was like, I really liked Our Flag Means Death, and I really like um, what we do in the shadows and Fly the Concords. I feel like Taiko Itt's good, or something. And then I think it was you pointed out to me that it's like all the stuff that he's like involved with, but is not like writing directing. That's like actually kind of good, and then like. The stuff that he um, write directs, writes directs, is the bad stuff because like yeah, and I, we like went through the list, and I think that bore out that like yeah, because he he does not he's 
like directs one episode of Our Flag Means Death, I think. He does he's not a credited writer on it, I think. He's just in it and he's pretty good. Yeah. Um Um And then like there's other stuff that I yeah, that other stuff, like he's he is a person who like worked on Flight of the Concords, the T V show. Not like, you know, He's not, not like one of the, the showrunner, right? Not one of the, not the showrunner, and certainly not the guys in the goddamn band. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. He didn't write any of them. Okay, and he just directed the pilot. Yeah. Um. Um. Is Taika Waititi a movie star? Mm, is he trying to be? I think so. I think he's trying to be. <laughs> yeah. Is he? No. No. I mean, yes and no. Is Chris Hemsworth a movie star? What counts as a movie star right now, I guess, people will turn out for him. Yeah. Chris Hemsworth, yeah. Chris Hemsworth more of a movie star. Yeah, Chris Hemsworth is more of a movie star. Imagine if Chris Hemsworth was born in the 90s. Like, just how different his career would be. Not born in the 90s. A professional actor in the 90s. (laughs) Yeah. Imagine if he was born 10 years prior to when he had been born. And just, like, how different his career would be. Yeah. I didn't realize that uh, being Kirk's dead dad in the first Star Trek was, like, his first film role. Huh. Yeah. Just, I think he would have made a better Kirk for those movies. I'm just gonna say oh, that yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know how much I believe it, but I, it, this is also based on me not liking Chris Pine all that much. You know? Yeah. Anyway, I'll be honest. This and I just mix them up. All the Chris's. <laughs> That's... Except Chris Pratt, just because he's the most obnoxious of them. He's the he's most the ob- one that I like the least. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> As somebody who I thought was kind of funny, but, like, not as much as other people did on Parks and Rec. I feel like Chris Evans kind of had a chance to be a real-ass movie star when Snowpiercer came out, and then he just decided that was the only interesting movie he was ever going to do. Yeah. But also, I mean, we've talked about this before. I just don't think that, like, movie star in the way that used to exist exists anymore. I think in large part because, like... Disney doesn't want to pay another Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. Is honestly probably part of it. Yeah. Is like a very intentional, like, if we let the actor get too big. Yeah. We we want the character to be big, not the actor. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, yeah, I didn't think about, like, Robert Downey Jr. is literally, like, the thing that's happening there. Is like, oh, we let that happen one time. Yeah. And it, like, and it fucked our sh- whole shit up when he wanted to leave. We can't let that happen again. You know, we have to make the IP the thing. Yeah. And we need to make all these people more replaceable. Yeah. Than they are. To to where now, Benedict Cumberbatch could have been a movie star, and then he showed up in Doctor Strange and it killed his chances. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, this doesn't matter. You want to talk about a fucking movie star? You want to talk about fucking Sunset Boulevard? Yeah, that's a goddamn movie. Well, okay. Oh, we also watched the first episode of season, of two. season two of Twin Peaks. You want to do Sunset, and then we can do, um, yeah, sure. 
we can do uh, Twin Peaks talk. Which uh, we were like, oh, we can watch this and then maybe we can like start watching some turn A or something. Mm-hmm. Um, not realizing that it's a that one's a double length one. So yeah. it's just a movie. Yeah, we were going to watch like one episode uh, of Twin Peaks season two. And then we were going to like, oh, yeah, we'll just like watch an episode of two or turn A. And then turned out the first episode of season two. I'm saying the thing you just said. I'm just repeating the thing you said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I will jump in here and add additional information. And then I started to get through the sentence and I'm like, I'm just saying the There's thing that she said. There's not a lot more else to say. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, let's do Sunset Um, first, just because we watched that first, I feel like. Yeah. And, and also, I mean... Both of these were kind of getting into the David Lynch zone. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but also a little bit less here in Sunset Boulevard, whereas like if people are more concerned about spoilery stuff. I guess if if you're a person who never listened to Stairwells before and jumped in with the skin of Marink, and now this is your second episode that you're listening to, we're in the midst of a project of watching all of the David Lynch movies. We were originally going to podcast about each episode of Twin Peaks and then we abandoned that because we're not a TV podcast and we are our skill set is not suited to it um, and so we're back to just watching movies um, but we'll do Sunset Boulevard and then when we get to talking about season 2 episode 1 of Twin Peaks um, I'm just going to put a spoiler warning that we will be We'll mention, like, who the killer is. Like, all bets are off for for spoiler talk once we get to Twin Peaks thing. Because we've seen all of Twin Peaks before, and we're going to talk about things from later in Season 2 and potentially Season 3. I can't imagine. But, like, well, there's definitely, like, some later Season 2 stuff that'll come up, you know. This whole, like, watching all of the films of David Lynch thing is, is more than just that. But this, like, what I'm about to say... But I think part of it is, like, we have this shared feeling about season three that it is, like, David Lynch looking back on his entire career Mm -hmm. and making a work that is about, like, the entirety of that. Yeah. And so in order to, like, you know, really feel that out, we want to actually watch everything and see it. And so far, I feel like it's it's supported. Yeah. It was, like, a a loose idea uh, when we uh, started this. And then... Gradually has just become like, no, I think this is just literally like the it was like, yeah, I think this is kind of sort of what's going on here. And now it's like, no, no, no. I've watched enough David Lynch that now I am certain that I'm right about everything. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, Sunset Boulevard. Uh, We watched this because the music box was showing it um, as part of a series of matinees on uh, they're doing a bunch of Willie uh, Willie Wilder. <laughs> Willie Wilder. Everyone's favorite. Everyone's favorite director, Willie Wilder. Um, for people who don't know, Sunset Boulevard is released in 1950. It is largely considered um, in a different way um, than some of the others, but this is a titan of film noir. This is, if you're going to look up a list of the 10 best film noir movies... Sunset Boulevard's going to be on there. Unless yeah. unless somebody unless somebody put um Double Indemnity 
and limited themselves to only one Billy Wilder movie, <laughs> you know? But Sunset Boulevard was a massive, massive uh, success in its day and massively influential now. Um, and so it was a real treat, I thought, to get to go see this on the uh, on the big screen. Yeah. Um, it was a little bit... Uh... Nervous, nerve wracking. I guess. Yeah. So I feel, you, you go. You go. Yeah. Uh, this is my first time back in a theater since mm-hmm. um people can go listen to the other time, which is when we went to I Carry You With Me. There's an episode on that way back. It's like 2021. Yeah. And that was like, and that was that period where like uh other variants of COVID hadn't developed yet. We had and shots. There was like, but there was we didn't know about like Delta yet. I don't think. Yeah. And well, and it was like very. In, it was also in this like low period where like rates went <clears throat> way down because mm-hmm. there've been a lot of there was actual mitigating practices being like employed. Yeah. <clears throat> where there was like mask mandates and yeah, most people who could work from home were working from home. People weren't telling people that they had to come back in the office yet. Mm-hmm. All that kind of stuff. So there was actually like a decent downturn and we hadn't yeah we hadn't like really gotten the variants yet i think there was like word that variants were on the horizon yeah um but it was like right at that period where it was like like i remember going being like if i don't go to the movie theater now i don't know if i'm gonna feel comfortable going to a movie theater in two weeks or a month yeah yeah definitely Um, like yeah for sure And so part of it, I mean, it was also, this is before you moved to Chicago, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, and so it was also... This was, uh, this was at the start of, Nora and I want to get out of St. Louis. We were thinking about Chicago as a potential destination. I have this friend in Chicago. I'm going to go crash on her couch and just get a feel for like the city for a day yeah. or two. And so I Carry You With Me was chosen entirely because uh, it was just a thing that was playing that seemed... Re- kind of interesting mm-hmm. and it wasn't that great but we had we still had yeah. things to talk about yeah and it was still fun to just go back to a theater uh and it was also it was in the same theater because if people don't know uh the music box has two like mm-hmm. theater you know screen theaters mm-hmm. um it's a two screen movie theater uh and one of them is like tiny mm-hmm. uh it, it is a small theater uh-huh. Um, it gives me the vibe of like, if you ever see like in movies or other thing like shows or something where people are like making a movie and they go in that, that little projection room where there's like enough seats that like a decent number of people could sit in there, but also it's usually not super packed and it's basically just the people working on the movie watching it. Right. Um, it's like that vibe of, of size, uh-huh. you know, there's not a ton of rows. And then they have this other one that's just massive because it's an old historic theater. And so it just like. There's like it's uh huge. it's like auditorium seating yeah. stuff where like you yeah, you've just got like rows and rows and you have like uh four doors to go into basically that like go down the, the aisles, so there's like four aisles through it. Uh-huh. You know, two on the sides and then like two that go down the middle. Um and yeah, it's just huge. Uh and this was in the big one, and that's where we saw I Carry You With Me, and we were one of like Eight people, twenty people, maybe. Yeah, I don't even remember, but it was the, very few. The people closest to us were like well over six feet away, yeah. like ten, fifteen feet away. You know? Yeah. 
But now we live in a world where everybody just thinks that COVID's completely over, so... And um, not to be a downer, it's not. You can go look yeah. at the stats. That shit's not over. That shit's getting worse every day. Please wear your mask. Um, I definitely, uh, like, we went to the theater, and I mentioned before we left, I was like, oh yeah, maybe I'll get some popcorn. And then I was like, I'm not taking my mask down for a single goddamn second. Yeah. And I got in there, and I was... I was like, well, as long as I wear my... Before we got there, I was like, as long as I wear my mask, it's going to be all right. And we got in there, and I'm like, I don't know that it's going to be all right. That shit was packed. I'm supposed to go to another movie this weekend, and I'm feeling very, like... I don't know, dude. Like That movie is also significantly longer, too, which is just more time. Well, yeah. yeah, I didn't think about that angle of it. Um, But yeah, I just... I'm... I was very... We had a great time at the music box. I am feeling like for any movie less than Sunset Boulevard, like they're showing The Trial, which is one of my, is like my favorite lesser known Orson Welles picture, you know? Um, I really like The Trial. I, you know, would love to do an episode of this podcast about The Trial. I think it's really well suited to like what we do here. Uh I don't I don't think I want to go see the trial in theaters. You yeah. know, much as I I'm really I, I a week ago I was feeling really excited about it and now I'm like I don't know, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um Yeah. It was one of those where I like I I wanna like do that. Like there's a few other things where um it's just a hard it's reached this point where I'm I feel like I'm still extremely like a homebody Still, I very rarely go out and do things. Um, but it's also reached a point where, like, you know, I have a kid that I want to, like, have enrichment in their life. Right. So, like, we're going to, like, a music class now. Yeah. And we're, like, the only people who mask at the music mm-hmm. class and things. But that's also, like, smaller and for 45 minutes and things. So, this is, like, points where I'm, like, I want to, like, see, do I feel safe? And I went to the theater and I was, like, mm, this might be the one time for a while that I, go, I do this. Yeah. Um, it's just this like it's... weird place where uh, it keeps being like, I don't know when this is going to end. It just seems like it's never going to end now. Yeah. And everybody's pretending like it's over and it's just so it's it's a bizarre position to be into. Well, and it's it sucks too, like just being like knowing how COVID has like affected your health in a like yeah. permanent way and knowing like the millions and millions of people who have also like you know not even considering folks who have died of it like folks who have also like covid has permanently affected their health yeah. in a negative way that they will never be I have rid asthma of. now uh, yeah. Emily has nerve pain right and like all sorts of shit that like covid is going to do to us that we just don't know about and I'm like I had a great time. I also am just like, man, I don't know if this shit is like, I don't, yeah. I, I don't know if I should be going back to the movie theater, um, you know? And I guess I, I, it's important to have this conversation, you know, I think, yeah. um, I think there are a lot of other like movie podcasts and stuff that are just like going back to the theater. Uh, I'm not, I'm not even like, I'm not naming names because I, I frankly just don't listen to many other movie podcasts, you know? Um, yeah, but I think there are a lot. There's a movie going public. 
They're just like, yeah, we're just going back to theaters. It's chill now. And I'm like, uh, we should probably be talking more about the, like, yeah, you know, that, like, my decisions to go um, to a movie theater and maybe, like, get COVID for myself that I maybe then spread to this random person who I see at work or on the street, whatever, that that, that shit fucks them up forever. You know, like, I don't know, like... Your your actions have consequences you do not understand fully, and maybe you should like factor that into yeah. your decision making. Anyway, we um, should talk about Sunset Boulevard well, unless you want to say something else. The other thing I like, I miss going to the theater a lot. It's one of yeah. my favorite things to do. Yeah, um, I miss it a lot. Um, also, going to this, there's a certain amount because I'm not going in the music box, or I'm like. I care about the music box a lot as an institution. I want it to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of what was nice going to this is one being like, oh, they don't need me filling this seat to survive right now. Yeah. Uh, there are enough people doing that. They're showing a movie from 1950 at 11 a.m. on a Saturday and sold that shit out. Yeah. Uh, it was also nice because we come on here and we talk about old movies all the time. Um, and we feel like the main critical apparatus that you're seeing uh, occurring online and everything is like constantly talking about what the new fucking movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like there's like that this like myopic view that's happening. And so it was also nice to to go and be like, oh, no, there's just a shit ton of people who will turn the fuck out for a movie from 1950. Yeah. Um, and like we went to like a, a small um Delhi. Delhi. I was trying to think of the word. Yeah. My brain got stuck on bistro. Yeah. And I was like, it was not a bistro. Um, and there was like three other groups of people there who had come out of the movie and were yeah. talking about the movie. Yeah. And I was just like, this is nice. Yes. To be reminded that like there is a world outside of online. The, the other thing that was happening is that I texted my mom um, the night before, I was like, oh, I'm going to go see Sunset Boulevard, blah, 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 blah. I've mentioned on the podcast before that my mom likes old movies. Um, but I wasn't, like, thinking about this when I texted her. Um, and then I texted her after I watched the movie and we talked some more. And my mom was just like, yeah, Sunset Boulevard's one of my favorite movies. And she, like, uh, we were... I was going to call her yesterday and catch up, and I haven't had a chance to, like... Because I wanted to... What I wanted to do was to bring my mom's takes on Sunset Boulevard to this podcast. And unfortunately, I have, I have my mom said that she didn't want to talk about it over text. So she just said it's one of her favorites. Um, and that is all the mom opinions about Sunset Boulevard you'll get. But it was just nice to be like, uh, it's not just like me and Nia and my, like, my weirdo parents. Like, there are lots of people. Yeah. You know, and we're in a big city. You know, I don't know if I was still living in like Lawrence, Kansas. When I was living in Lawrence, Kansas, the people who showed up for like watching old movies at Liberty Hall was like the same 30 film majors every week, you know? Um, But being in a big city, there's a huge audience and people were laughing. People were having a good time. Um, uh, and it was very it was very refreshing to be around people who were just going to enjoy this movie on its own terms, you know? Yeah. 
Uh, anyway, let's actually talk about the movie. Let's actually fucking talk about the movie. <laughs> um, okay, released 1950, Titan of Film Noir, directed by Billy, w- Billy Wilder, starring William Holden as Joe Gillis. Billy Wilder. <laughs> you just cannot say Billy Wilder to me. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, Gloria Swanson is Norman Desmond, a whole bunch of other people. The premise is the Gloria Swanson uh, playing... my guy. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Gloria Swanson is playing Norma Desmond, who is, uh, who once was a the biggest actress in Hollywood in the silent film era. And then um, the talkies came in in the 30s, and her career went up in smoke. Yeah. Um, and now. She's got all this money because she took her early acting career money and put it into oil and put it into, um, you know, land and this and that. But um, she's got she's got this huge palace in Hollywood that she lives in and she has all these memories um, and uh, all this memorabilia um, and this longing for a world that has left her behind. 30 million fans that have left her behind. Um, uh, but no one, no one there. Yeah. Enter William Holden playing Joe Gillis. He is a struggling writer in Hollywood. Um, he's like pitching scripts constantly, but they're not getting picked up. And um, he, his, he is running from some guys who are trying to repossess his car he blows out a tire and pulls into this random palace on Sunset Boulevard, um, and like like a fly into Norma Desmond's net, basically um, gets enmeshed in her life, um, uh, and gradually, gradually becomes more and more like dependent on her in a weird way, but she's also dependent on him in a fucked up way because basically she's like. She's like, oh, he needs three hundred dollars to fix his car. I'm not gonna give him three hundred dollars, but I am gonna buy him a new tuxedo, and I am gonna buy him a new platinum cigarette case, and I am gonna buy him, uh, this, that, and the other, and feed him three meals a day, and he's gonna have a pool to swim in, and you know, um, all this stuff. Um, and Gillis is like very aware that he's being like lured in more and more very aware of the ways in which he is being manipulated but also takes a great deal of pity on Norma um and so sort of like lets himself get suckered in i'm 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 doing a little too much interpreting anyway <laughs> yeah um basically things continue to escalate and um uh Gillis wants to have a life outside of Norma, basically. And she doesn't want that to happen. And so the, the, and specifically, he gets involved with this girl who is also an up and coming writer in Hollywood or trying, she's working in the reader department. Um, she's reading scripts that people sent in, um, and separating the wheat from the chaff. And so she wants, they're at nights, they're like co writing the screenplay, and they like, she falls for him and he falls for her, but he 
he's been lying to her about like his money situation and this comes to a head and she comes to the house on Sunset Boulevard and she sees how he lives and uh she leaves Gillis um I mean I think there's a cuz this is like also yeah. kind of reading into intention stuff but throughout a lot of the like them writing together uh-huh he is trying to keep it professional uh-huh um there's also stuff going on with like age and yes here yes. But he's trying to keep it professional but she doesn't really want to she has this like other guy uh-huh and he's kind of trying to just like push her just like stay with him mm-hmm. like don't get mixed up with me yeah i'm bad news kid <laughs> Um, and so then this big moment, like, uh, Norma is calling, um, the, what's, what's her name? Betty is calling Betty and being like, oh, let me like tell you the, you know, the secrets or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, Betty's like, who is this? And then Joe gets on the phone and is like, here's the address. Come. And then he's doing this whole thing that, that seems to be, you know. Him choosing Norma in that moment, being like, you know, why would I leave here? I'm getting paid well and, mm-hmm. you know, all these things. I think there's also stuff going around to, like, um, stuff about making movies and, like, art and profit yeah. and stuff in yeah. this. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, because, like, he is getting paid well because and has, like, gotten into the situation because he was just, like working up the script that she, that Norma had written about herself just to like make herself a star again. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first was like trying to actually make changes, but then whenever it was ones that w- would like remove her, mm-hmm. she'd be like, put that back in. And so he just keeps kind of acquiescing to that. Yeah. Whereas here they're like doing this like more passion project work, but that may not actually make money. Right. Um, and in this moment he's like, I'm just going to choose this. Um, and so then Betty runs off to like, no, you know, I'm going to like, I don't want to deal with this basically. Yeah. Like, and then as soon as that happens, then that was a whole thing just to get her to run off. Yeah. Because then he starts going and packing his stuff cause he's going to leave. Yeah. I, and I may be wanting to do like some interpretation here. So I'll just finish off the last little bit of the plot summary is that she, Betty leaves, um, Gillis starts packing his stuff to leave. Um and Norma can't accept um that he's leaving her. Um and so she got a gun to kill herself, but she ends up shooting him um uh twice in the back, once in the stomach. He falls in the pool. And at the start of the movie, um they do a really good trick in this movie. Um cuz at the start, you it opens on the guy in the pool, the the dead corpse in the pool, and he's like, and there's a there's a narrator all through the movie. Um, he's like, let me tell you about this poor schmuck who got killed at this blah blah blah, and then he's like, well, let me tell you all the facts, and they go back, um, and then the narrator once they start flashing back from that moment, then he switches to first person, so that you can sort of forget a little bit, I think. At least the first time I watched this, you sort of forget slash don't fully put together that um, the guy who died at the start is Joe Gillis. 
Um, and is the one who's narrating it? Is the one who's narrating About it, how he died. About how he died. Yeah. And then the other cool trick that they pull is that they give you like some sh- some epilogue of like what happens to Norma after she kills this guy. Um, and the narrator is still Joe, still dead, dead guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, her final scenes are, she is yeah, fully... Throughout this, she wants to return in front of the camera. Uh, this is what the whole script has been. She sends it to DeMille. Uh, Cecil B. DeMille plays himself in this. Yeah. Um, there's like a misunderstanding and stuff, but she thinks that the movie's going to get made. Um... She's doing all the stuff to try and make herself look as like beautiful and youthful as she can. Mm-hmm. Again, there's stuff about age and beauty and things happening here. Um, and then at this point <clears throat> where Joe's leaving her, she's like becoming more and more mentally unstable, I guess, mm-hmm. um, about like what's happening. Um, and so at the moment uh, that she kills him, sort of enters just full on delusion. Um, like, there there are cameras and reporters in her home and she thinks she's back on set. Um, there are police trying to question her and she's like, no, not right now. I need to do my makeup. I need to be on set in 15 minutes or blah, blah, blah. And, so, and it's even like when she goes out to the stairs, which here's the big stair. Yeah. There's been a lot of scenes on these stairs, but this is the stairwell scene. Yes. Um, you know, she looks and her, her like uh, servant, like her butler, basically. Um is revealed in this like overly melodramatic, and I think the movie's kind of uh-huh. also kind of laughing at this. Yes, <clears throat> because both Norma and Max, her her like butler, are such like, uh, you know, just over the top silent movie characters. Yes, transported into like speaking roles in a you know fifties movie, but mm. are still like in many ways operating in this like. Uh, very arch silent movie way. Yeah. And so he reveals that, you know, uh, he was her first husband and stuck around and like, you know, directed movies with her. And mm-hmm. He was a director and he could have made it, but he wanted to keep directing with her or whatever. Yeah. Uh, which I doubt if he could have made it. But um, and so in that moment, she steps out, sees her first husband slash current butler, but recognizes him as a director and then he directs her and like does the lights camera, you know, uh, and then she does the big again, like extremely over the top um, silent movie kind of walk down the stairs. Yes. So like Nosferatu just over the top. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, to basically be taken away. But also it's like he I think in that moment, Max was recognizing that the way to like get her downstairs in a way that's going to be uh, not just horrible for her is to like play along with the delusion. In this yes. Moment. Yes. Like the, 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 the one final kindness he can do is that if he, he lets her buy into the delusion one last time. Cause the other option is that an officer is going to be like, all right, this crazy lady is not going to like, you know, cooperate with us. I'm grabbing her and I'm hauling her into the police yeah, van in front gonna, of the cameras. Yeah, we're gonna like put some uh 
probably put her in like handcuffs right now and you know yeah. be like multiple officers dragging her down the stairs or something yeah um yeah. instead this is like a thing where she can she can feel like she's having her moment give, give her one final moment of dignity while the cameras are around yeah and the news cameras are going to record this like even though there's still probably going to be weird talk around what this is well, it's the, still this the, moment where she gets to act in front of the camera yeah the cameras are eating this shit up because the cameras are like oh this is a this is a different story you know we wanted the salacious like they're taking her out in handcuffs and what we got is this delusional woman believes that she's on a movie set look she's acting like look yeah. at this yeah um uh and of course, the iconic like closing line, "Mr. Demille, I'm ready for my close up." And then the the camera closes in on her, and then fades out into the it it, it specifically fades out into like a glitzy, glamoury, glittery like um I, I it's kind of just like a a white it's kind of like a fade to white except like the white is like a little bit like glittery yeah yeah um. It's really fucking then, great, dude. And then you get the end and they kick you the fuck out. Yes. You get like one thing that says, here are the main people who acted in it. Uh-huh. Um, one of the greatest things about old movie. I, I said this when we watched it. I'm always of like the mix. Like at one at once, I'm glad that like some person who like barely does anything on this movie did a little bit of work. Still will get credit. And there's still issues around yes. who does and doesn't get credited. But so many people get credited for their work on movies. Even uh-huh. if it's like a, a fairly small role, a fairly small, like, uh, the you know, behind get the credited, scene. Yeah. The assistants to the directors get credited. The, um, you know. Yeah. And I think that overall that's a good thing. There's also something incredible about watching an old movie, and especially an old movie in theaters, where the movie fucking ends and the lights come up immediately and you have to get the fuck out of there. Yeah. And you're just like, I just, like, the movie's over and I'm still, like, processing the end of the movie and I just Uh have to go out into the real world. Yeah. And we went to a matinee, so it's just blind, and it was snowing, so it was just yeah. blinding white out there. Yeah, it was disorienting. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was like those uh those uh cuts in um uh pale, pale flower, flower were so. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The drift compatibility of ornate stairwells only increases as the years it's go on. One of the on. greatest parts about Pale Flower <laughs> is the way that it will just be like bright white and then plunge into darkness, or will be really dark and then suddenly just like extreme bright white. Yeah. As someone who got to watch this in a theater once, it's fantastic. That movie like uh disorients you at points and it's great. I told you that Rio Ikebe shows up in uh Billy Bat, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, long before you told me that, um, I think Aiden did. Okay. So. Shout outs to Aiden. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, Sunset Boulevard, um, this movie's incredible. Um, and while I was watching the movie, I was like, oh, well, this just speaks for itself, you know? While I was watching the movie, I was like, well, what the hell are we going to talk about? It's all just right there on the screen. And then while we were doing our summary, um, there's so much, like, interesting, like... uh, It is at once all there on the screen. And also, 
it's all like you have to like read between the lines a little bit, not a ton, but just a little bit of like, what's going on? Why is Gillis letting this, letting all this happen? But the movie, like the movie is calling attention to why is he letting all these things happen? And sort of encouraging you to think about, think about that while it's happening to where in the moment of watching the movie, I have an answer for that. It's not like a, it's not a David Lynch thing where I walk out and I'm like, why the hell did that happen? Let me ponder this for the next week. It's like... But also you can see why David Lynch loves this movie. Yeah, totally. It It is self-evident in the moment, but you have to infer it also. You know, yeah. it's, so, it's so clever. It's so perfectly um, constructed, I think. And so much of it is also like hitting this really interesting line around... Um, like self-reference and like metatextual stuff Uh where none of it feels in the way that like modern movies love to be meta, Uh but in this way that's like very like uh, forced or uh, pushing it too much or is too much like winking and nodding at the camera that this is all stupid. Yeah. Which is not what this is doing, but that this is like always kind of a, it is a movie about Hollywood that is, also making sure that you are aware that it knows that it is a movie that's talking about making movies Mm -hmm. that like we are having this entire thing be uh or most of the movie be narrated by a guy who just died and he's going to continue to narrate after he's dead Mm -hmm. um that we are going to have the you know coming down the stairs with the camera, but you're seeing the camera's point of view mm-hmm. because the camera that's shooting in this moment is this within the supposed film, the mm-hmm. newsreel. And so then you actually get the people who would be holding lights to get the fill and everything happening on there because within the thing we've constructed, that makes sense as a thing that's happening. But also in that moment, you are just watching how movies are made. Yes. Um, we're going to have, you know, Cecil B. DeMille, Shooting an actual movie he was shooting at the time, being in this, interacting with Norma. Yeah. Like, we're going to be blending between the reality and the the fiction there. Yeah. We're going to have my guy, Buster Keaton, show up. Uh-huh. Um, and, like, all of the people who show up uh, as the bridge players, as the... What's what's the term that he... The Waxworks. The Waxworks, yes. All the Waxworks. <clears throat> all these are people who kind of disappeared from the screen after the silent era. Yeah. Um, and are, are very intentionally coming in here as people who like aren't, they don't have careers anymore. Um, they are the like washed up, not really what, but you know, the, mm-hmm. there's like silent film people. Um, and also I, I might be misremembering this, but I, I feel like at some point, um, I read something from Buster Keaton about this like self-awareness that he had uh, later in life of like this, those things exist. And there is like a perpetual image of me that is me on like the silent screen. Uh-huh. Um, and there was like a certain point in which I think he became like uh, self-aware of that and like supporting that, that like he didn't actually want to do like many video interviews. Mm-hmm. I think this was Buster Keaton. Um, I forget who it was who, and so like having him show up as a character in here too, is also like a, him being someone who is like aware of his image as like a, that he's become immortalized on film Mm -hmm. showing up in this. Yeah. This could all be wrong. I could be misremembering which actor. I feel like it was Buster Keaton though. 
Yeah. It's in one of the like, um, I don't know if it was like Studs Terkel or like a cineast interview or something. It was an interview I read. Um, um, but, but you saying that made me think about, um, you talking about like the, the being on set with DeMille in this yeah. movie made me think about a comparison point in some ways is in a lonely place, which feels like it is drawing back the curtain on here's all the dark stuff that is happening in Hollywood. You know, like yeah. here is all the the like the things that are happening behind closed doors, the 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 darkness, the depravity, the drinking, um, the other D words <laughs> um, uh, that's happening in Hollywood. Right. This movie is doing that is a little bit is a little bit of that is a little bit of the like, you know. Um, back when this show was still running, um, and before it kind of jumped the shark toward the end, um, I really liked, you must remember this, a podcast about this era of Hollywood, um, and specifically about like sort of tabloid stories of the, of, of like the forties and fifties and thirties in Hollywood, you know? And so it's a little bit giving you the the stuff that's selling millions of newspapers across America, you know, yeah. is the the private lives of actors. So it's giving you a little bit of the the you know a, a quick aside here, funny because before uh, they started showing the movie, the, one of the guys who helped program it came up, and uh-huh. uh, you know has apparently done intros for all the Billy Wilder stuff, and he said this is a movie that I think speaks for itself. But then he gave like a bunch of trivia basically uh-huh. about the movie. Um, and one that was funny was, I forget the actor who was, um, considered for Joe Gillis instead of William Holden and who was like signed on to do the project and stuff and dropped out either like right when they started shooting or shortly before Montgomery Cliff, Montgomery Cliff, because at this time he was having an affair with a middle-aged, right. like silent film actress or something. Yeah. And, uh, my- and then was afraid that by doing this role, the newspapers would look into him and find out that like... Well, Montgomery, he was actually doing this. Yeah, like like <laughs> millions of people across America in 1950 are reading newspapers to keep up with the exploits of your Montgomery Cliffs of the world. They want yeah. to know about all the shit that he's getting up to. Um, this was huge business, and so part of this is part of why this movie is so appealing is because it's like ripped from the headlines in some ways. But yeah. it is. The other thing, the 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 contrast from what's happening in a lonely place, is that I think that this movie really does its best to show you why all these things, like why why might we fall for these fantasies? Why might we um, be drawn into the sort of myth of Hollywood? You know, um, what like what is the glitz and the glamour? Like, what is the appeal of it? Um, yeah. and it's. Man, that's a nice house. I'd love to live in a house like that. I'd love to have so much money I don't even know where it comes from. I'd <laughs> yeah. I'd love to be on a movie set and a spotlight comes on to me. But also the spotlight comes onto her and she like squints. Like she goes like she has trouble seeing for a minute. And it's like it's all there in just that one little spotlight shot of like, oh, I wanted the spotlight to come on to me. Oh no, the spotlight has come on to me. <laughs> yeah. Um 
Yeah, it's so good, dude. Um, yeah. And then I, it's one of those things too where I think this is the thing that's different than in a lonely place. <clears throat> where in a lonely place, I think it is so much about the characters. It is about a man like Humphrey Bogart's character mm-hmm. who, like, in, in a way that is sort of, uh, surprising and powerful, especially for a movie from this era, the the frankness that it is talking about, like abuse and like violent mm-hmm. men, mm-hmm. um, in a way that I don't expect, that I expect that to be more papered over or romanticized uh-huh. at the time, and it's very like just forthright about these type of people, um, and the the way that they can like hurt the people in their lives, um. But it is like about like the people as humans who you're supposed to view and see as just like humans working in this industry. Whereas Sunset Boulevard is always riding this line between the human character and then also the ways that they become stand in for other ideas mm-hmm. that, um, you know, there, there's a lot of tension with there's the new you know, the hot young new uh-huh. reader wants to be a writer who has all of these ambitions. Um, and some of this is around like the, the way that Hollywood cares about youth. Mm-hmm. But then there's also this way that Hollywood is like fixated on the past and you're also getting that yes. with Norma and you're getting like the tension there. Yeah. Um, but also in ways where like, I think some of what's happening is like, yes, like the, the money of the past and like the, you know, there are things that try to like support and build up like these old things. We should just keep doing that. Cause it worked before uh-huh. uh, Max sending the fake letters to build up Norma's like self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also then this desire for like what's young and new, mm-hmm. but also that's like, Part of that is that it's cheap. Right. Um, there's not like the, the money associated there in the same way. Um, and then just like the, the tension that's occurring between those things. Uh, in, a, in a way where I like, I don't know, maybe if I really sat down and started like working through an essay, I could have like, here are the actual things that it's trying to say. Uh, part of what just makes me enjoy watching the movie and finding it interesting is that you do get all these tensions between like, um, and that I think are reflecting tensions in Hollywood of um, at once. This is about like that the screen wants a a pretty young woman in it Mm. and not a middle-aged woman. Right. And even the middle-aged woman has like this extreme, um, which is only intensified more, over the decades, like need to look constantly young, mm-hmm. forever young. Yeah. Um, Cause there's just more and more technology to enable this now. Uh, and yeah, if you have the money, you can just throw money at this. Um, but then that's also being like at the symbolic level, you're getting like reverse tension of the money's in what's old and the money's not in what's new uh, in terms of like ideas, in terms of, you know, what are you actually making and putting yeah. out there? Yeah. Um, that she has like the money and stuff to like fund doing this giant script. Mm-hmm. But then Cecil B. DeMille doesn't want to make it. Right. But also there's no, we like the movie, I think 
you come away from it being like probably that script that they're writing that Joe and Betty are writing is going to be a good script. Mm -hmm. But we've also seen so many scripts fail in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, It starts with Joe being like, I don't know if my problem is that I, my stuff is too original or not original enough. Right. Um, And so there's also this moment of like, are they just going to write this giant, like spend all this time writing this script that they think is great. And then they can never option it. Right. Or once they do, it just gets completely reworked to nothingness. Yeah. Um, cause it, cause, cause yeah, like the, the thing they're writing, if they finished it, there's no, there's no promise, you know, there's no nothing like they're yeah. going to go take it to the boss who turned them down earlier. Yeah. You know, um, there's also the great moment of the story of her nose. Yes. Of she went to like all these casting, you know, she comes from a, like a, uh, family that works in Hollywood, mm-hmm. uh, multiple generations. She was like basically being set up to be an actress and she goes to, you know, uh, audition for things. And they're like, oh, you know, you need to fix your nose. And she fixes her nose and she goes back and nobody likes her acting. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, you, know what's, you know, what's funny to think about, too, is that she's like a third generation Hollywood uh, person, right? Yeah. Hollywood in 1950 has been around for 40 years max. You know, (laughs) like, like she's third generation in 40 years. It just shows you how quickly Hollywood, Hollywood churns through people, you know? Yeah. Um, And how quickly like people go from, you know, and, and her, her family is like, Oh, ma worked as like a lighting person, I think. And her mom worked in makeup and my granddad worked in, uh, he was an electrician or so- something like that. They were not like on screen like yeah. this, but like even in like these more like profession, uh, acting is a profession. Even in these more technical like things, um, Hollywood just goes through people so quickly, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just find it fascinating for. Not nothing feels like overly didactic or um all it's saying is that Hollywood wants what's hot and new mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh mm-hmm. it's like complicating everything. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's always um Yeah, there's always a, another contradiction, another tension, another like wrinkle to it. Um we haven't even like, like we didn't even talk about um, the butler hardly at all, and he's like arguably the best part of this movie. But like, I think, like, I don't have a ton to say about him because I think um, Eric von Sternberg just turns it turns in a top notch performance. He's not given a ton of lines, but he's given a ton of screen time, you know. Yeah. Um, and he's just putting in work on this movie. Um, and I don't have like a ton to say about it. I just, um, you know, uh, he's he is this other tragic figure standing to the side of Norma in some ways. You know, this maybe let's let's take him at his word that he was one of the three most promising directors in, you know, he was up there with Cecil B. DeMille and D.W. Griffith. 
that he was this really promising young director in the 1920s and 1910s. Um, and then uh, he married her and decided to stick with her and gave up his career directing um, to, to spend time with her. If that's true, that is just as tragic as the other option, which is that, no, he did not have a directing career. He tells himself that he could have ha- he, that he had all the promise of a Cecil B. DeMille. Um, he tells himself that um, you know he could have gone on directing. He tells himself this, that, and the other. But you know, the times moved on without him too. Both both things are possible within the movie, and both things are equally tragic in in very different ways. You know? Yeah. Um, um, I feel like I have other stuff I want to say about the movie, uh, but it's not coming to me right now. The thing that is coming to me is just a, another quick little note about seeing this at the movie box, at the music box. Yeah. Um, which was that, um, in the Cecil B. DeMille scene, so, so they are going to Paramount. So there's your timer. Um, telling us we should probably get to wrapping this up, honestly. Yeah. Um, so they go to Paramount. They're going to show the script or, or somebody at Paramount has been calling the, um, Desmond home and has been asking for Norma. Um, and it's a guy named Gordon Cole. And so they're going to go to Paramount and they're going to talk to Cecil B. DeMille and um, because uh, she's like that. Gordon <clears throat> Cole must. I'm not be... going to talk to his middleman. He needs to, you know, Cecil B. DeMille. He should talk to me directly. Mm-hmm. And at first, it's like I'm going to wait for Cecil to call me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then three days later, she's ready to go to Cecil or something. Yeah, she's going to go to Cecil, and they they have a really Cecil B. DeMille gives a really good performance as like. Between a rock and a hard place, he he can't break Norma's heart, you know. Yeah, like he can't be the one to say we're not doing the movie, but but telling her that they're not doing the movie, uh, so telling her hurts her. Not telling her hurts her just as much, I think, you know. But he he just doesn't have it in him to to do it to tell her yeah. it's not happening. Come here, babe. Um, Lem has joined us. Um. Everyone's favorite podcasting cat. Uh, and Cecil B. DeMille gives a really good performance here. Um, and the whole time, um, he's like, someone get me Gordon Cole on the phone. Figure out why he was calling Norma. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and they just like keep talking about this guy who called Norma. And his name is Gordon Cole. And they say Gordon Cole, Gordon Cole, Gordon Cole, like a million times. And I loved sitting in the theater... You could hear the Twin Peaks weirdos in the audience. <laughs> yeah. Because there's a lot of... We, the movie's very sad. But by the end of the movie, it's very tragic. Everything that has happened. The movie's also very funny. The movie's also very funny. And it definitely starts funnier than it ends. There's a lot... Of, but there's a lot of jokes all through. And so the audience is, like, pretty loose. The audience is laughing when they're supposed to laugh. They're, you know... there's Sometimes they're laughing when they're not supposed to laugh. And that's fine. It's a funny movie we're all primed to laugh 
And so every time they say Gordon Cole, I can just hear the Twin Peaks weirdos snickering in the audience. I could I could spot every one of you motherfuckers. <laughs> and I see you. <laughs> um, I think we were the only weirdos in the audience, though, that whenever that staircase showed up, we were like... <laughs> Just like we we were not doing, our legs in the seat. We were basically. not doing that. The thing that was happening was that every time there were the there's the huge, massive staircase. Yeah. In in Norma's uh, foyer, um, and um, every time you and me, we were doing the Leo pointing at the screen, but whereas normally. We're like doing the full like Leo pointing, and like, we say stairs, <laughs> stairs. It's you and me, just like trying not to distract everyone else in the audience. Though I'm sure we were distracting the two people like behind us or something. Yeah. Um, and we were just like point, just like lightly point. <laughs> but when it when there was the final scene with the stairs, we were like, violating. yeah, we were, we were. Yeah. <laughs> um, S rank stairs, S rank stairs. Um, we gotta do, we gotta do Skinnamarink and Wild of Heart too. Yeah, S, S. S. He goes down to the basement. Wild at Heart. Uh, there is a brutal murder scene on some stairs at the start of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, he does go down some stairs and face the consequences of his actions. He does do that. Esther for stairs and Wild at Heart. Had some good stairs. Good stairs. Jo- I was about to say Joyce Chopra. Um, Smooth Talk got some fucking competition because we got A plus, A plus, S, S, S. That's our 2022. So Smooth yeah. Talk, you got to bring it next week. There's some good stairs in Smooth Talk. Okay. <laughs> I am. <clears throat> I'm excited for you to watch Smooth Talk. Um, I hope M will watch Smooth Talk with us. One. Not like on the podcast, but. Um... Sorry, everybody. I'm talking to the cat who will get. Who has found the treats and will get one treat. Um, one. One treat, Lem. There you go. Uh, it's in my hand. What are you doing? I think, did it come up on Elf? Is that when we talked about it? Really, it's this like thing where I watch it. I'm like, this is a horror movie to me. Yeah, but I yeah. also don't think anybody, I don't know how many people will agree. This this came up on the long Elf. Yeah. That was a really good episode. People should go listen to people it. People should go listen to it. I really liked that episode. It made me cry. Yeah. I mean, I think there's specific reasons why it made you cry, mm-hmm. i.e., like a lot of the podcast talk. I think made people, yeah, emotional. It's, who, it's mostly just that, like, in oh, the, they're talking about me, yeah, you know. Oh, so I'm just emo- an emotional <clears throat> bitch, you know. Yeah, but like, I don't know. Hopefully, I'm not like calling calling Jackson out here, but I think they also got slightly emotional as yeah. Time. Um. Anyway, do we have many Twin Peaks thoughts? Um, <clears throat> I just wanted to say that, like... David Lynch fucking knew. W- one. David Lynch fucking knew. The man knew. The man knew. He's known for so long. Okay, okay. <coughs> if you do not want spoilers for Twin Peaks, stop right here, because I'm about to talk about stuff. Yeah. If you do not want spoilers from Twin Peaks, we'll catch you next week. Get out of here. Follow us at FoxMomnia on Twitter. At Autumnal underscore coffee on um, Twitter. At Autumnal on co-host. Yeah. Um, go listen to Around the Long Fire. Also on the other podcast. What are you but, doing? 
I don't know. He's he's found plastic to chew on. Do not chew on plastic. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know if I... I came in. I was like, hi, Lem, and I picked him up. He resented me for picking him up. He squirmed. He ran away from me. I set him down. Um, And he looked mad at me, so I was like, okay, I'm going to leave him alone. And then he meowed, and I was like, oh, so he wants me to pet him? I reach out to pet him. Um, He gets mad at me for that. I reach away. He meows again. I'm like, okay, do you want me to pet? So I start scritching him. He's like, okay, this is okay. I stopped scritching him because Emily was watching Jeopardy and I got distracted. As soon as I stopped scritching him, motherfucker bites me. <laughs> he is my cat. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. So this episode has Leland... Uh, okay. Has... Uh, Grace Zabriskie. Uh, Grace Zabriskie's name, character, uh, Laura's mom. Uh, <laughs> you're not going to help me. Something Palmer. Sarah Palmer. Sarah Palmer. Thank you. <laughs> Sarah Palmer talks to Maddie. I had a dream. Um, What is the dream about? I don't remember. Um, Well, Maddie had a dream. Maddie has a dream. Yeah. Well, first, before that, you have the reminder of the potential incest. Yes. The episode opens on the... we. Season one ends on Cooper getting shot. Season two opens not on the, the stuff with the, the guy and the milk and the... Um, we do not get that right away. Before we get that, we get um, like the threat of incest between um, um, Ben Horn and um, Audrey. You know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> then we cut from there to the uh, the giant and the um, all that. We can talk about that if we want to. I don't know how much I want to, but whatever. Um. This is season one, episode yeah. two. How do we get just like a good episode list? Um, and then from there we go to Maddie is describing a dream to Sarah Palmer, um, and um, it's a I don't remember what the dream is about. It doesn't matter. Well, so I think the dream that Maddie has was that she saw Laura Palmer die in the house. Yes, yes. And then Leland, now with his white bob hair from killing Jacques, um, like, shows up. He's gone off the deep end. <laughs> um, He sings his little song, does his little jig, and then he goes to work, and then Sarah sees blood on the floor. And uh, I know. Uh, Maddie sees the blood. And starts screaming. I thought Sarah sees the blood and starts screaming. No, I think it's Maddie. Um, regardless, like, the thing that... Yeah. So we get... I'm looking at this. Um... Madeline has a vision of a body-shaped stain on the rug. Yeah. Um, the... Laura was not killed in the home. 
the 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 body shaped stain on the rug that is not Laura. Yeah. The person who is killed in that living room is Maddie. You know? Yeah. And I just well, and it's like she's having a a dream about the murder occurring in the home. Yeah. Which is although it does not literally happen is true in the sense of like the murder occurred within like the family of the Palmers. Yes. Um, and then is specifically pointing towards her own death. Yes. And it's like, okay, leave. This also has Maddie. This episode also has Maddie later, like ditching the glasses. Um, and now looking more and more like Laura. Yeah. Um, Maddie, a character that is going to at some point be totally forgotten by the rest of Twin Peaks, you know? Yeah. Um, Whose seeming only role in seasons one and two is to be doomed to reenact the murder of Laura Palmer, you know? Um, Yeah. um, And then to be totally forgotten in a way that Laura is not. Um, Well, Laura also forgotten in the fullness of time in some ways. Um, uh, David knew anytime he says anytime he says that he didn't know who the killer was he's a fucking liar yeah like <laughs> you just don't write the show this way if you don't know yeah um others this is a, this was a really good episode this was a standout episode I thought um yeah. But but other I I don't want to get super duper into the weeds. Other stuff. Um, there's some formal stuff that I enjoyed. So you go. One thing I was gonna say. We talked about this while we were watching it. Uh, the the old man who comes in after Cooper's been shot. Mm-hmm. That scene would have been so much longer in the return. Yes. Uh, there's a part where he kind of like leaves and comes back, and there's like a cut to like Cooper watching, and then he's like coming back in. Mm-hmm. You would just see the full like him. Yeah. shuffling out you just see the and like nobody in frame just the door mm-hmm. and you would maybe hear the shuffling and you'd hear the stop and the turnaround and the shuffle back and then coming back in through the door right yeah yeah that gets like cut here yeah this is this is truly baby shit by where we're going <laughs> to get in season three <laughs> yeah and I'd probably like it more if it was just more excruciatingly long. Yeah, no, that's I what's kinda, good about this. I kind of was watching this and thinking, man, this could be longer. Yeah. Um, other like broad thoughts about this episode. Um, really, really, really enjoyed this episode. Um, there's a lot of talk in this episode. Maddie talks about her dream. Major Briggs talks about his his vision and and classifying the difference between visions and dreams. I don't know that that's a classification that like holds true throughout the filmography of um David Lynch, but it's certainly, you know, it's characterful that this is what uh Major Briggs believes and it's characterful that like a character who seemingly knows the most about what's happening in Twin Peaks um like is a character who fully like buys into the power of visions and dreams and and all these things and I guess I was just like well it also hit of the stuff that we've seen so far 
his is the thing that most uh in a way that's like not really going to be resolved in the first two seasons has a vision that is pointing towards season three uh-huh. in a way that obviously you write season three with yeah. the scene. Yes. Yes. To, to like bolster the scene and, and uh, step it up even more and, and give it more power and weight. Mm-hmm. But him like knowing that he is going to die fairly soon. Yeah. In, you know, the timeline of twin beaks. Um, He's like a month away from his own death. Yeah. But then it's telling, is basically conveying in like abstract terminology, but it, one is conveying something that could somewhat point to like the weird theater space that he ends up in mm-hmm. with the giant and stuff. Yeah. The fireman. Yeah. Um, But it's also pointing towards like, like you get this scene and I'm like, oh, I fully understand then the major Briggs who does all the setup stuff for Bobby to find uh-huh. later. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I am prone to saying that Dana Ashbrook grows a great deal as an actor in the 25 years between, uh, seasons. Um, I'm prone to saying, or at least in the past have been prone to saying that like, oh, Bobby's no good in seasons one and two of Twin Peaks. He's just good in season three. Uh, this rewatch fully just putting the light of that because Dana Ashbrook putting in, he is so good in this scene. Yeah. Like, and, and, and he is so good in the ways that he's good in season three. This scene in two also, cause we talked a little bit about, we actually think that the acting here is good, but what's happening is that he is acting as a teenager who is constantly putting on an act of seeming tough and cool when he is actually struggling in yes. various ways. Yes. And that comes off as bad acting because when you are a teen doing that, it kind of is bad acting. Yes. Um, but that I think he's actually like genuinely arriving at something that is true to the character. And this was one of the biggest things that like, uh, confirmed that feeling I was getting because you actually see that like the, uh, you know, face that he's putting on and that he's acting about being this cool teen breaking in this moment where he's getting this very genuine moment from his dad. Mm-hmm. That he's probably been wanting for a very long time. And it's funny. Cause in the dream, he's like, you know, and all like we embraced with like, you know, no, I forget what the exact. Yeah. We were one in that moment. Yeah. And there's, but there's like something about like no walls between us. Yeah. Something to that effect. Yeah. And then stands up and, like, gives Bobby a firm handshake. Yes. You know? That he, like, can actually do that embrace right now, but that he can, like, see a, a future. Yeah. Someday which... we'll be able to do that. Yeah. Um, And that, like, is just deeply emotionally affecting for Bobby mm-hmm. um, in a way that it, like, actually works. Yeah. Um, And then, again, makes me feel... uh more validated i guess in my feeling of like no what's weird about bobby is the fact that uh being around this kind of teen is constantly being around somebody who's like acting and is not good at acting mm-hmm. uh. um and yeah i just the reason i bring up this scene in particular is that it it feels so obvious to me in some ways it feels obvious because I've spent so much time thinking and watching about David Lynch stuff of how this scene is like this scene is like teaching you how to watch David Lynch stuff in some way. Like 
like the like Briggs explaining what he thinks dreams are and what visions are um and then walking you through like this vision that he has it's like this is what this is like what what David Lynch movies are trying to do for you you know (laughs) um I think maybe when I first saw when I saw that this scene for the first time you know in 2017 whatever it was i think i wonder if i vaguely recall and slash wonder if my reaction was a a less earnest reaction a less like oh what a weird stilted scene major briggs is just gonna talk about a dream he had and then bobby's gonna cry and then they're gonna have this firm handshake what like level of like irony are we operating at and i think this is just like a truly deeply felt scene and it really works for me in a powerful way um and yeah that like the things that are true in david lynch movies are dreams and visions you know yeah um there's nothing that makes this any like less true than like you know a scene of Pete um talking about how he misses Catherine, you know, um later in the episode. Um other there's other stuff. This is a this is a Lynch episode, Lynch directed episode. The first one he's done since episode three, right? Something Maybe. like that. Anyway. It feels it feels like such a flex from him. <laughs> feels like just such a he feels to me so comfortable in this world and in his abilities as a filmmaker and as a storyteller in this episode. Because there's just like, like I was really bowled over by this one shot. Um, Albert and Cooper are summarizing the case so far, mostly for the audience, nominally for the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department. Yeah. And as they're summarizing, you get a slow pan over the like a hundred donuts, it, like perfectly laid out in like three by three, and it's like twenty seven columns of them, um, or twenty seven rows of like three by of three donuts, something like that. You know, like a crazy amount of donuts. <clears throat> and as the camera slowly pans over, and as the voiceover is them summarizing this. You get superimposed over the donuts, the red light that we know that's where Laura is going to leave James and run off into the woods. Um, You get Ronette Pulaski showing up in um, uh, on the train tracks. You get, um, you know, um, various things we haven't seen yet um, from the night of Laura's murder. We get the police discovering the fire walk with me scrawled in blood. Um, And you're getting like two or three images all laid one on top of the other, all given sort of like equal like primacy in some ways. Um, And it's it's so good. Um, It's so evocative and so like encouraging you the viewer to like be making these connections between all these things and under under all of that is the donuts is the clinical way that like albert and cooper 
don't necessarily see the humanity of Ronette and Laura, you know? Yeah. Of this is just business. This is just shop to them, you know? Yeah. Um, It's so good, dude. It's, I fucking love David Lynch movies. I don't know yeah. what to tell you. Um, there's another really good use of like uh, fading images as well, mm-hmm. which is when the giant fades out and then fades back. <laughs> and says, "I forgot to tell you about Paula Trady." Expecting that one day that quite that well. I was thinking you'd be a little bit more like roll your eyes at me. <laughs> well, where can people find you online? You can find me at Fox Mom Nia on Twitter and co host, uh, especially Twitter right now because I've not been on co host very much. It's I gotta like get that back in my brain somehow. Um. Go listen to my other podcasts around the long fire. Uh, that the second episode of us reading Yala, if you really don't care about sagas at all, just like skip forward like 40 minutes or something. The rest of the episode is not really about sagas. <laughs> uh, it's good though. That was a fun episode to record. Um, we're starting Iron Blooded Orphans and Ghost Divers. Go listen to that and go listen to Pondering Pluton. Which is just a, it's a podcast. You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. You can find me on co-host at autumnal. Um, you can go to exportaw.io, and that'll take you to the Patreon page where we've got um, links to all the free feeds of all the podcasts that we do, and we got a little list. I think that list is up to date. I should double check that tomorrow since I got a little time, um, just to make sure. Um, for one dollar a month. You get this podcast early. You get Gotham City Limits early. You get hot singles. You get um 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 uh. Pardon my franchise. <laughs> uh, my brain's shutting down. Pondering Puton. Pondering Puton. Um, I think that's everything. Um, you also for free on the Patreon. The free episodes of Coffee and Comic Books are there. You don't have to subscribe to get the free episodes of Coffee and Comic Books if. That's a thing that you need for some reason. You can also go to exportaudio slash comic books to get the free feed of coffee and comic books. Or for $5 a month, you get Pop Town Funk, where we talked about Thor, Love and Thunder. You get uh, Pop Town Funk, where we talked about Bending the Ink Machine and then Johnny Quest. You also get um, the next two episodes of Coffee and Comic Books, as well as some previous episodes of Coffee and Comic Books about Arsene Shrowen or... Um, uh, I think the Claudine ep, uh, Ryoko Ikeda. I think that was um, a paid one. I don't recall. But you get half of the episodes of Coffee and Comic Books are exclusive to $5 patrons. So if you want to listen to those, you should give us $5. If you do not listen to Coffee and Comic Books, please export aw.io slash coffee or export aw.io slash comic books. Check out that podcast. It's really fucking good. Rick has been such a fantastic co-host. Um, I really appreciate him and all the, like, just everything he's brought to that show. And I think that if you enjoy this show, 
I think you're going to get a lot out of coffee and comic books. I th- like it's really good. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this. I looked at the numbers on coffee and comic books and they were better than I expected them to be. I don't, I, I really tried not to look at the numbers very much, but the, the numbers were, I was expecting them to be very low and they were like pretty decent. Um, not as much as this podcast. So, you know, if you are one of those people who just listens to this and not that, just check it out. Check out the 2001 A Space Odyssey episode. We list like 10 other books that we read um, in 2022 and loved. Um, so you can get a bunch of recommendations out of that. And also the main book that we read, um, 2001, I think that book's just a killer dude. So, um, yeah, check that out. You know what else you can find me? Where? In bed, because I'm sleepy. Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real. Yeah.